Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. Well, you're about to not be, because this isn't what it looks like. Oh, yeah, and Cass is awake. Yes! Yes! I forgot! Book, yes! Book series by? Sudama's uh, Bosch. Book number? Four. Dude. Chapter Cass is up. 14! Chapter 14! Okay, Cass ready, guys? Cass is awake. Cass is awake. Cass is okay. awake. Chapter 14. Cass is back. Three friends reunited. Oh, Mom. Um, A month passes. Honestly, I don't know what to call this chapter. PB. I'm sick of you procrastinating. If you don't pick pick a title right now, there won't be any artwork for this chapter. I'm serious, okay? I'm just going to try and draw whatever I like, and you have no right to complain. Gilbert. (laughs) Gilbert. I guess they're artists. Okay, ready? I know... Okay, I know you're a bundle of conflicting emotions right now, aren't you? Like Max Ernest at his worst, if you have no idea how you should feel, on the one hand, you're relieved that Cass is okay. You know her her well by now. She's like a friend, and you wouldn't want anything bad to happen to her. Nothing truly bad, anyways. Sure, she's stubborn and willful. willful. She makes mistakes in that imperil herself and her friends she's sometimes not very nice to her mom her ears are too pointy but she doesn't deserve to be punished severely certainly she doesn't deserve to perish along in some mental journey into her ancestral past Wait, what happened like her coma to be in a coma oh yeah you're glad in short that she's still alive on the other hand you're absolutely furious with me you're not so humble narrator for putting you through this audacious ordeal go on admit it you hate me why I, why couldn't I have told you on the outset that Cass was going to survive? Why couldn't I have skipped to the coma, skipped the coma altogether? Why put you through every blip and bleep and zigzag of her heart monitor? Do I no, have no heart myself? In my defense, all I can say is it's my duty to report the truth, whatever that is, wherever I find it. But you know, you know better than that. You know me better than that. So I will respond by stating the obvious. You could have put the book down, and yet you kept reading, didn't you? You have kept reading about Cass and Max Ernest, booked after book, and I'm, if I'm not mistaken, almost as if you enjoyed seeing these two innocent young people put in harm's way. As if their trials and tribulations had existed purely for your entertainment. As if they had no feelings of their own. Please, therefore, spare me your criticism and accusations, your your pleas and complaints and the other end of the delay of the day oh gosh and the other end of the day you dear reader are nearly as guilty as i we're in this mud pit together and you don't ever forget it there i don't know about you but i feel much better getting that off my chest now can we please get back to the story thank you let us begin this chapter by a new by asking the let us begin this chapter anew by asking the most basic question what awakened Cass? If you're still the sentimental sort, you might be inclined to believe that it was Max Ernest's long and heartful bedside speech that roused that roused her. All Max Ernest 
Memories stirred Cass's own memories and brought her back to the present. Combined with the familiar yet always jarring sound of Yo-Yoji's guitar, they were too powerful of an antidote to resist. That's probably what Cass's grandfathers or even Pietro would say. Personally, I think it more likely the power surge Benjamin created was responsible and that electric charge jolted Cass awake. I think of it as Frankenstein's monster or a frog in dissection ta- on the dissection table. Of course, it's possible that she would have awakened on her own. Regardless, as all-powerful author of this book, I give you permission to choose whichever explanation you you like best. The happy fact remains that Cass was back, returned from wherever and whenever she was or she had gone. As for Cass, not only was she unsure of what had awoken her, she didn't even remember what, what had put her into sleep. Right off, just like I said. Yeah. She didn't remember what had put her into her sleep. After Yo-Yoji returned to the room, he and Max Ernest filled her in on a few details. For example, what she'd been in a coma for two weeks. That, yes, that Benjamin Blake was lying unconscious at her feet. And no, the lights were not out because of a nuclear attack or even an earthquake, but rather because their old classmate had cut the power. Then... Max Ernest tied Benjamin's hand together. This is the handcuff knot, he explained to his friends. The Spanish bow tie might also work, but I think it's better for ankles. Meanwhile, Cass lit up her emergency glow sticks, just her, adjusted her IV to a more comfortable position, and settled back into bed. Okay, she said, you guys have been holding out. You guys have been holding out on me long enough. What happened? What do you mean? asked Yoyoji. I mean, what happened to me? What else would I mean? I was in a coma, right? People don't just fall into a coma for no reason. Was I in a car accident? Did I almost drown? Do I have a rare infectious disease? Is there any alien virus in my brain? Tell me. You mean you don't remember? asked Max Ernest. For real? Remember what? Eating the chocolate? Senior Hugo's chocolate? That's what, that's what did this, said, asked Cass, completely surprised. Who gave it to me? You did, asked Max Ernest, confused. How should, how could she not remember? Why would I do that? You, it nearly killed me and Yo-Yoji the first time, right, Yo-Yoji? Yo-Yoji nodded, grimacing. No doubt. It was insane. Fun, but insane. So then all the time, you were just unconscious? You weren't traveling back in time, asked Max Ernest slowly. I was supposed to be, but they didn't have a chance to discuss the issue further because Cass's mother had gotten home. She and Cass's grandfather could hear, could be heard downstairs at that very moment, worrying about the lack of electricity. Max, Ernest, are you up there? Is Cass okay? Quick, you guys, untie Benjamin and just pretend he came to visit with Yoyoji, whispered Cass. It's going to be hard enough to explain why the lights are out. Actually, it might make it easier. We could tell them that there's a break-in and the, and the burglars tied him up, said Max Ernest. How about that? Actually, it'll make it easier. We could just tell her that there was a break-in. Cass shook her head. No, she would call the police. Too complicated. Dude, wake up, dude. This is your lucky day. I think he's talking to Benjamin. Yoyoji tugging on Benjamin's ear while Max Ernest bent down to untie the knots he'd made only minutes earlier was it really possible that the chocolate didn't work max Ernest wondered as happy and relieved as he was about Cass's recovery happier and more relieved that he'd been 
about anything before, he couldn't feel he couldn't help but feeling a little disappointed. And more than that, a little worried about what was meant for the future of the secret. Number one, Cass and the secret. Cass's first flash of memory came later that night when she slipped into her covers of the hospital bed. Her mother refused to let her sleep in her own bed until she was evaluated by a doctor. Caught between the sheets in an odd gold monocle with two lenses. Cass didn't know where it came from. Later, of course, she would learn the story of Mac from Max Ernest, but she knew that she'd seen it before. And when she looked through it, the sensation was familiar. So familiar that it didn't even surprise her when when she noticed that the monocle gave her x-ray vision. Are you eating something? Oh. She held on to the monocle and studied it for a better part of an hour, but she couldn't remember whether she'd seen it 500 years ago or earlier or merely five weeks earlier. She didn't need a monocle. She needed a crystal ball. Still, she clutched it like a baby clutching a blankie. It was, she hoped, her key to unlocking the secrets to the past. (sighs) And to learning the secret that was her mission to guard in the future. When she woke up in the morning, she remembered a bit more of her journey. But only, only the way you remember a dream, like in little fragments that make no sense when you try to put them together. There was a bright light. A ghost, a flying sword, a renaissance fair, or was that last year's field trip? It was all so confusing. She told Max Ernest on the phone. As for the big question, she couldn't even remember whether she'd found the jester, let alone whether she'd learned the secret. At this point, dear reader, you know more about life than she did. Over the next few weeks, her mother celebrated Cass's miraculous recovery, squeezing Cass every other minute and really letting her out of her sight which was annoying, but at the same time, kind of nice. And Cass's doctor kept calling her in for checkups and exam, despite trying to explain what happened to her, which was funny, but mostly aggravating. Cass, meanwhile, grew increasingly despondent and increasingly certain that her epic journey had never taken place. She merely experienced a chocolate-induced hallucination and everyone a lot of anguish for nothing. The worst was when Pietro visited, posing all the hospital social, posing as a hospital social worker who wanted to help Cass. Um, uh, 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 sorry. Posing, oh, who wanted to help Cass regenerate the society outside of the world. A funny role for a hermit like Pietro to choose. Cass couldn't think of anyone less integrated into so into society. Cass was pleased to see him, of course, and couldn't help welling up when he told her how proud he was of her for having embarked on such a perilous perilous expedition but the words that followed were hardly reassuring please try and remember as much as you can are you just going to the mirror okay yeah that's fine please try and remember as much as you can Kara he said I don't want to put any more pressure on you but I am afraid if too much of the time passes you'll never remember the thing that you alone can know that you alone must know can can you help like hypnosis hypnotize me or something pietro shook his head i'm sorry i cannot nobody can it's too dangerous the temptation to learn the secret for myself it would be too great cast sank further into despair what kind of secret keeper was she she couldn't even know if she knew the secret number two max Ernest, and pc once Cass was safely returned to present Cass 
uh, um, Max Ernest naturally was very curious to hear about her trip to the past, if indeed it was a trip that she had made. Unfortunately, as much as she would have liked to spend all of this time devising games and tests and jog to jog Cass's memory, Pietro had given him strict instructions not to do precisely that. She must remember it on her own for two reasons, said the magician. First, there is danger that you would learn the secret. I do not say I do not say you would do so on purpose, but it is a danger. Second, if she pushed too hard, we know her brain is fragile. The coma might return. We could lose her again and again to the past. And if he'd wanted to disobey Pietro, Max Ernest immediately became far too busy to spend to spend much time with Cass. That very evening when she recovered from the coma, Max Ernest found himself returning to the hospital to visit another patient. This time, he didn't have to sneak in. The patient was an official family member, his baby brother, born several weeks premature and very small, but nonetheless thriving. He looks like a peanut, a really old peanut, he told Cass the next day. Why do newborns always look so old? His parents, alas, did not fare quite as well as their new son. It seemed that they'd been avoiding the subject of names until now, knowing how how problematic it had been in the past careful what are you doing okay whatever you're doing let's leave that there um when their inability to settle on a name for max Ernest has resulted in having two names and their son having two houses sadly avoidance had not been healed had not healed old wounds no sooner that their baby had arrived than they started fighting about what to name him we have a name for him for my we have a na- we have to name him after my uncle clay declared max Ernest's mother no we must give him a name of my uncle paul um countered max Ernest's father if they call him clay paul i'm going to be annoyed at the end of the in the end neither parent would give in first oh gosh so their second son was given two names like the first max Ernest's brother became paul clay what a terrible name Max Ernest was not surprised and only somewhat disappointed to see that their argument escalate so quickly. He had been expecting them to fall in love and re-div- fall out of love and redivorce sooner than later. Although perhaps not the space of a single hour with a new baby crying one foot away. Needless to say, they were again living in opposite sides of the house. Wow. Max Ernest's father was not going to let Max Ernest's mother take care of his baby, and Max Ernest's mother refused to let Max Ernest's father take care of her baby. The situation called for solemnistic solution. Yet Max Ernest feared if he offered to split Paul Clay and him in himself in half, they would take him up on it. After all, they had split their house into two more than once. The only way Max Ernest could take a piece and also ensure Paul Clay remained in one piece was to offer to feed and care the baby himself. They gratefully agreed. Knowing how much he'd been disliked by having two names, Max Ernest shortened the tiny baby's name to PC and proceeded to take charge of his little life. Max Ernest the next month was a non-stop series of diapers and bottles and burp cloths and sponge baths. Oh, I wouldn't go into detail about the diaper changes or even the second or third or fourth or fifth, but I will tell you that the sixth went smoothly, as did most diaper changes thereafter. Perhaps Max Ernest was not the most natural caregiver in the world, but what he lacked in instinct, he made up for in determination. 
When the baby was asleep, Max Ernest read how-to books and watched videos and consulted medical professionals. The reception at the hospital was particularly helpful. During school hours, he arranged for his parents to babysit their own child according to the schedule, so evenly divided and so strictly enforced that neither parent could complain of unfairness. Max Ernest was such an efficient and unbending taskmaker that his parents, each of whom had previously been desperate to hold the baby, began to rebel and started to skip out on their babysitting sessions in order to keep them in line. He had to stay, he had to start playing them to babysit with their allowance. Money they money gave him no money they gave him. By the end of the month, I'm proud to say Max Ernest may as well have been the most expert babies, baby wrangler in middle school. Number three, Yo-Yoji and the Nuts Table. Of our three heroes, only Yo-Yoji had much contact with the older Turkish society members during these ensuing weeks. Violin master and Turkish chief of de- physical defense, Lily Wee, had finally deemed his violin playing sufficiently advanced that he might forgo one hour of violin practice a day and devote it into martial arts training. Yo-Yoji was ecstatic and spent as much time as he could under her martial music arts tutelage. I don't know what that word is. As Cass mentioned, Yo-Yoji had eaten Senior Hugo's chocolate and had visited the ancestral past himself. If It seemed now that whatever samurai spirit had then possessed him had left Yo-Yoji with a residue of samurai skills. When three weeks after his recovery... After her recovery, Cass's mother allowed Cass to return to school, and the three friends were reunited once more at the nuts table. Yoyoji gave a whisper, a whispered update on the doings of the Turkish society. Report: the report was not long. Owen was, as usual, always away on an assignment. Yeah, because he's the blonde-haired lady from school, right? Mm-hmm. Mr. Wallace, the certified public accountant who was secretly the Turkish society archivist was spending every waking hour buried in files searching for documents for Pietro. Did I skip ahead to see what? If it was on. Not yet. I just think it is. Pietro, meanwhile, was obsessively playing Terracino day and night. He said he's trying to figure something out about the Midnight Sun, but I think that old dude just likes to gamble. He wouldn't tell you what he is. He wouldn't tell you what he's worried about, said Cass, hoping that hoping that she, Cass, wasn't the subject of Pietro's was losing sleep. Yo Yoji shook his head. Guess it's really a top secret. He said he sent Max Ernest on a a warning about it. Max Ernest frowns. Me? What warning? Yo Yoji shrugged. No idea. All I know is he is really hoping Cass remembers more stuff. It's almost almost like he thinks she's the only one who can stop whatever it is. Oh, wait, I wasn't supposed to say that. He doesn't want to. He doesn't want to put any more pressure on me. I know, said Cass, miserable. Thank you for telling me anyways. Sorry. The conversation got cut short by the arrival of Glob and Daniel, not Danielle, at the nuts table. Okay, who wants a free dinner at Medieval Days After the Ren Affair next week? Asked Glob, laying a couple of restaurant coupons out in front of Max Ernest. Oh, I forgot. He picked up the coupons before Max Ernest could grab one. You're not interested in medieval days, are you, Max Ernest? Come on, Glob, give him a break, Daniel, not Danielle. 
said from behind his dreadlocks. Either give him the coupons or don't. It's not that big of a deal. Free dinner? I don't know about Max Ernest, but I'm all over it, said Yo-Yoji. Me too, said Cass. Cass wasn't sure how she felt about Max Ernest, new non-friends at the Nets table. She could help she couldn't help representing a little a little their in, intrusion on her life and she didn't relish the prospect of dinner with glob but she thought if the renaissance fair didn't help her memory maybe the medieval days will who cares if the renaissance medieval aren't the same thing oh well guess you're out of luck said max ernest said max ernest said glob i only had two well actually if he wants he can have mine i can't go said daniel not danielle i mean yeah daniel not danielle you're not going to the Ren Fair Club? Looked horrified. Sorry, man. There's that comic book convention, remember? My dad is so desperate for me to read anything with the word book in it. He said he said I could go even if I had to skip school. I I don't know what to say, Glob sputtered. That's that's betrayal. Reel, reeling from the shock, he sat down at the table. Rolling his dreadlocked, covered eyes, Daniel, not Danielle, sat across from him. There was no way for the others to continue talking without the newcomers hearing. The question of Pietro's warning would have to wait. The nuts table had rarely been so silent, but that night Cass dreamt with an eye dreamt about an eye, dark green and almost reptilian staring at her through a double monocle. She awoke with a sense of foreboding wandering, just wondering just what Pietro might Pietro's warning might be. Ooh. What do you think? Okay, we'll go to the next one.